Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project, and I'm so thankful that you're tuning in for another week. I want to first thank you so much to our monthly partners and our one-time givers. We greatly, greatly appreciate your gifts to us. We could not do this without you. And I also want to encourage those who may not be a monthly or one-time giver to consider giving to the Jude 3 Project. We have some amazing things coming up that we're so excited about. Our curriculum, um, just expanding our team, updating our um, media resources. And I am so, so excited, but we need your help to do it. So consider becoming a monthly giver or a one-time giver. Any gift is appreciated, no matter how small or large. Every gift helps equip. So I pray um, that you will consider becoming a monthly partner with us. And without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And I'm so excited um, to have Dr. Charles Goodman with us today. He was with us for our Courageous Conversations conference. Um, he was on the Preaching to Black Millennials conference, at, I mean, panel, and which was our most watched panel. Um, really? That's across, wild. Um, platforms. Um, y'all all gave um, a very helpful perspective and gel well together so I think people really loved it for that reason um it was a very helpful content so thank you for those who might have missed that panel and um didn't see you or don't maybe not familiar with your work can you just give a little bit of background about yourself uh, hey Dr. Fields thank you again for having me on and uh, all the work that Jude 3 is doing and uh, it was an honor to be a part of that panel uh so I'm the senior pastor of the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. Um, and so I've been there, this is my 13th year, and um, I'm grateful for an opportunity to lead an amazing body of believers. And uh, God's doing some great work in our church. Um, average age of our church is about 33, 34. We're getting older as I get older. <laughs> I'm getting on the other side of the hill. Um, and so, yeah, so very much interested in this. So I've kind of matriculated through a lot of different schools uh, from Emory University, Wesley Theological Seminary, Cambridge, recently Yale. Um, and uh, and so I'm very interested in this. And our church is doing, doing, doing uh, uh, well. Some would call it a successful church, but we're just trying to be faithful to our call. And so, um, yeah, that's where we are. That's awesome. I'm happy to have you with us today. And we're talking about um, just this whole, uh, I believe it's a false narrative uh, that black preaching is solely emotional uh, and not, and doesn't have theological depth. I'm a PK, so I've been in church all my life. Uh, And while I've been in the Pentecostal church, my uh, my dad's church is more Pentecostal uh, church. He's always uh, taught the word. Um, so I think, and the black pastors that I do know from just being around church are, they may have emotional moments, but they have depth to them. And I think that, um, there's this kind of false narrative that black church is just 
full of emotion. There's no depth. And while there are some churches that don't have depth, but that's also in white spaces. Yeah, um, I think it's really important that we kind of challenge that and talk to pastors such as yourself who are, who are kind of challenging that in their pulpit. So um, through hearing that kind of what, are some of the things you've heard as it relates to the black church that you think is problematic and the ways in which black preachers may communicate? Absolutely. Uh, once again, I, I do struggle with the fact that, especially when it comes to black anything demographically, we're always painted with a broad brush. Um, it's unique within our culture that, you know, black has got seemingly one thing, but everyone else can stand on their own individual merits. I wrestle with that in a lot of different areas, even when it comes to some of the problems that a lot of people see plaguing the black church. We just paint that as if every black church is a certain way. And they're not. They're not. There's a monolithic. I mean, we're not monolithic. We have different ideas, different images, different things that we do. Um, so it is offensive to me as a, as a black church practitioner who absolutely loves the church, uh, leader in the black church that we will get pegged as just solely being emotional. Now, don't get me wrong, the emotions is a major part of it. I think um, one thing that has been unique about Black church experience for me is the fact that we try to marry what Jesus says. Uh, we must worship him in spirit and in truth, right? So the spirit, the emotive, and then the truth being the cognitive. So I think that it's always been a part of it. Now, it has, it has morphed and transformed throughout the years, simply as I think we have a more educated pulpit now. And so I think it just allows us the opportunity to explain things uh, in more technical terms. But even those that didn't have the education, man, one thing that's so amazing about like preaching is as much as they may not have known, there was so much theology in the sermons they preached and the songs we sang, like some of the stuff we, we may never could understand, but when Big Mom was talking about hold to his hand, right? God's unchanged, this whole immutability of God, that even though they may not know the big term for it, we understood what that was, right? Or Ezekiel in the middle of the wheel and all these other things that have become major parts of like African-American preaching throughout the years, they may not sound technical, but they were very theologically dense. I think they were. They talked about, you know, a lot of different things. So I think it's I think it's just uh, unfortunate that we as a black church uh, get painted with that full, that broad stroke. And as you said earlier, now there are some that are theologically light, just as there are in every other demographic. There's some white churches with a lot of light theology you know, a lot of popcorn theology and, and every other church, you know. And so uh, it's unfortunate, but I think there are many in the pulpit who are really uh, promoting the fact that, that we want to make sure that you have head and heart experience when you come into the worship experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to note because I know some friends that are more high church, um, if Anglican, Episcopalian, mm -hmm. uh, Catholic, that will that will lament that there's not enough emotion. Mm, um, yeah. So this like all reason and all it's it's no kind of emotion. It's just kind of we're in routine, and they almost want um, the the opposite. Um, and then you have some that have grown up, and I think people who who make this claim about black churches are usually talking about black charismatic churches. Yeah. Um, and you know, I grew I I grew up United Holy Church. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm Baptocostal. So I understand that. But I think a lot of that is just simply because, um, yeah, and it's unfortunate. I do think I, my Pentecostal and charismatic brothers and sisters kind of get pegged in that way as if 
man, my pastor growing up was a Duke grad with his MD. You know what I mean? So it was not that they were not. It's just, I think, you know, it's unfortunate. Many people who have not experienced it in totality uh, just try to try to name it and to quantify it and define it, and they haven't even experienced it. But, yeah, I'm sorry for cutting you off. I apologize. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, and so as we think about, like, the challenges of reaching the next generation, I know your church is diverse, uh, especially as it relates to age. Um, how are you thinking through engaging all of those demographics um, in your preaching as it relates to uh, making sure that you meet the needs of those younger people who may have those criticisms about church, but also those who want a more experiential experience, um, both feel uh, helped and, and welcome. Yeah. So, you know, my, my standpoint for the preacher is I find myself as a resident theologian of my church. And I take that very seriously. Um, I have a, I have a very strong itinerant ministry. I'm currently now in Arkansas. <laughs> I'm preaching revival here in North Little Rock for my good friend, Dr. George Parks at New Hope Church. And um, so I take different approaches when it comes to preaching. So on the road, it's to inspire, but I take my role and responsibility at home to inform, which means I try to give them a different kind of meal every chance, right? So I do think part of the emotive is not just, and, and cognitive is not just in the word, but also in the worship. So I'm challenging my worship team led by uh, Brother Trey McLaughlin, an incredible gift to the kingdom, um, to also provide theology through our songs. You know, sometimes the truth be told, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation uh, that I would like some more of our songs to be more theologically dense. Um, and, and, you know, that's a, that's another conversation. But so, so we try to create that experience because I do understand the experience is important, but you also can get taught. So I recently, as I, I just got out of a series called the Defender Series, and it's interesting. I I do about seven series a year, and I kind of do them in a different vein. I kind of have a way that I do every year, every approach. So August, September series is always doctrinal church stuff, right? So a few years ago, I did a series, Race, Religion, and Jesus. It was during the election period. Uh, I did a piece on the seven uh, letters to Asia Minor, talking about that last year. The year before that, I did about church etiquette because most people don't understand church etiquette. And I just recently did what is crazy, one of my most popular uh, series called the Defender Series. And this was simply a series where I just wanted to talk about stuff that I know people are asked. And the one thing I've learned is that we really do not know. We know the statistics that say this generation is the most biblically illiterate generation and so I really wanted to tackle some things that I knew would be kind of difficult in my traditional sermonic form, but I told them I'm going to have Bible study on Sunday. <laughs> and so you, can you imagine we do five services on Sunday, two locations currently. So I literally was, you know, headset in my ear and I'm standing there and I'm just going through some things and I cover five topics. Can the Bible be trusted? Is Jesus who he says he is? Uh, where do we go from here dealing with evil, heaven, and hell? I did one about the practicality of things we do. Why do we do Lord's Supper and why we do baptism? And I just closed out this past Sunday talking about the Holy Spirit. Each one I just went through systematically when it came to the Bible. Let me tell you why you can trust this Bible. Let me tell you how we can say that it is true based upon the authenticity of it, how many manuscripts we have left. Let's go into the in-depth of it. Why can't we trust it, right? And it's Jesus who he says he is, that whole piece. Either he's Lord or he's lunatic. At some point, 
we have to understand what that stands for. The whole pinnacle of our religion is based on those two things, our scriptures and our savior, right? And then wrestle with some stuff about evil, I think, which was, to me, the hardest one to navigate. But that's the question people ask. Rabbi Kushner asked that a long time ago, how does, why does bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow evil, right? And is there heaven or hell? I really felt bad because I think we have this period where we're sending people to hell. And I made the argument that God doesn't send people to hell. Heaven and hell is a choice. You know, it was created as an opportunity. God needed these opportunities in order to for us to choose unconditionally to be in relationship with him, right? And then about Lord's Supper and Communion, which was kind of intriguing. I had older folk, uh, Dr. Fields, who would come and say they did not realize that's why we do communion or they didn't realize baptism. I had people come up to me afterwards and we did a spontaneous baptism and about 35 people came. And they were like, listen, wow, I see what it means. It's a sign, it's, it's a sign, it's, it's an outward expression. It's part of community, it's part of unity. And then this last one about the Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> I spent that time. Now, I will admit to you as a preacher, it challenged me because a lot of times the energy we get from the back and forth of preaching can be energizing. And doing it five times, I'm used to that. This was so didactic. There wasn't much response. <laughs> Most people were taking notes. Um, and it was more draining than anything else. Um, but they learned it. And I also believe they got to see my theology. A lot of times we do not know who are, what our leaders believe. I tell people all the time, you'd be amazed. People you listen to and you love to hear, you do not know their theology. You don't know what they believe. And I think that in some way can be problematic. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to share with them, hey guys, this is my theology. This is what I personally believe, right? When he talked about the Holy Spirit, I said, I believe in the sign gifts. I believe in laying on the hands. I believe in this. When it came to certain things, I said, I want you to know what your pastor believes and why it's significant and why I'm so passionate about it, which I think a lot of people also uh, said they really appreciate it because most people aren't that open about what they believe. They kind of tell you what they think you should believe, but oftentimes we do not appropriate and share what we do believe. <laughs> and I think that's so critical um, because I think there's a gap sometimes between what people preach and what they believe uh, based on what they think the pulpit might, I mean, the uh, the parishioners might want to hear and uh, or are open to based on their um, their their experience with God or, or their location. Um, so I think that is a great, great point that you, you brought up. Um, and I think what you're saying as far as like the Defender series is so important. G3 is based on Christian apologetics to the African-American content. And so I love that. And, and y'all were a good resource. Y'all were a great resource for me. So appreciate that. Great resource. Oh, oh thank you. Thank you. And I, I think it's so that <clears throat> as you discover, uh, as you were saying, it was your, one of your most popular series is it is people are hungry for it. Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't get always, the response, I know when I did a Christian apologetics training to uh, my Kojic, uh, at a, um, Kojic um, convention, and they were looking at me like, I was like, oh, man, I shouldn't need to switch this up or do something. Because they're looking at me like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> yeah. But afterwards, they're like, oh, that was so <clears throat> great. But for, the, for them looking at me, yeah. I was just like, I'm dying up here. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I think you're you're dead on about that uh, response. Um, as you're thinking through your Defender series and you being in Augusta, one thing um, <clears throat> dealing with with our young adults is them leaving Christian Christianity and going to Black religions. Do you see mm. that 
and adjust to like Israelite? I have not. I have not as much. Now, once again, uh, we are in the Bible Belt. Um, so there's an inherent, this, you know, kind of thing, us as Southern Blacks, you know, we're going to hold on to the church. Now, I haven't seen that per se. I've heard that, but I haven't seen it, right? I have not seen it within my context as much. Not to say it isn't happening. I just have not seen it. Um, <clears throat> which is kind of interesting because I think, once again, that goes to a misnomer as if Christianity is a white religion, and it's not. I mean, matter of fact, it was birthed and bred amount around brown and black people. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we can't we can't take the context of Christianity, Jesus, and who he is and who was around him from his from from the fact of, you know, these were black and brown people. So I do get offended. And I told people that. I said, honestly guys, it's it's kind of offensive to think that Christianity is something that just the white man created. It's not. I mean, this is a black and brown people religion. I mean, it was ultimately put it in context as um, Howard Thurman said about Jesus and the disinherited, right? This whole context of who he was, right? And so, you know, and, and we, we bring our, all, of our, all of ourselves to our experience with God. So, you know, and even people would argue Howard Thurman's whole, whole mystical kind of approach uh, to the religion. And so um, I have not seen it per se. Um, not to say it's not happening, but once again, I'm in the Bible Belt, and there's this inherent, you know, kind of thing for Southern Blacks that we kind of do church. Um, I'm hoping that's the Renaissance. I'm seeing a lot more come back uh, to church um, for a lot of different reasons, a myriad of reasons, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's helpful because I think, as you said, we kind of uh, paint church spaces or cities with a bar brush. So we'll think, okay, if they're dealing with this here, then I need to deal with it. And it may not actually be happening in your context. So you yeah. end up fighting or trying to fight battles that aren't there. Absolutely. So I think that's Absolutely. extremely helpful that you noted that. For preachers that are listening and they're saying, man, I really want to do something similar to what you did with the Defender series, what would you, what would be your kind of guide for them to help them because they might feel like, man, that's something for Bible study, um, not Sunday morning. And you actually and saying, no, that actually works for Sunday morning. Yeah, what are your steps for them? Uh, what I would tell them is, number one, you got to be read yourself. You cannot explain stuff that you're not clear about. So it's not just something that I think you should just haphazardly say, oh, I'm a preacher. Uh, apologetic sermon is Sunday, and you're not sure about your belief. You know, I think it has to be um through our belief system and that's what gets birthed out take some time on it plan i'm big on sermonic planning uh me with a group of my guys every year uh some of my best friends in the world and we kind of plan calendars you know all right and we get input and help and then i go back to my staff and i talk about what i'm trying to look at for that year right so already next year i know i'm gonna do a series in august september entitled is god blank and it's going to be three sermons. Is God a racist? Is God a sexist? And is God homophobic? And I just want to kind of tackle it. I wanted the scriptures to kind of lift up these, these ideals because we deal with it, right? We wrestle with it. And because of what had just happened, I'm like, man, I really want to do that. But once again, that's a year out for me. <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm as tight as possible and I have all of my, my uh, T's crossed and I's dotted you know, because I'm up there making a major claim and to talk and to share what I think people are going to be interested in because we hear about it all the time. So 
I would encourage them be well read, um, be concrete in your thoughts and your belief system. Um, don't be afraid to try as a pastor. That's one of the things that is so different than evangelists is that, you know, we get an opportunity to stand every week. My mentor, Dr. Brad Braxton told me when I started pastoring, man, close to almost 17, 18 years ago, um, he said, good men feed your people. Some days is, is, is burnt hot dogs on paper plates. Other days it's going to be filet mignon on fine China. Either way, feed them. And as a pastor, I appreciate the fact that I get to be I should get to be a variety, right? I never want my people to get caught up in a style, but I want them to hunger for substance. <clears throat> so once again, I did this off the heels of doing a summer series on David, a man after God's own heart. And I felt like revival all summer, right? I just got through it. Hampton, I was going forward. Then I slowed it down and put that thing on my ear. So I think you can't be afraid to, to show a variety because once again, you have a lot of different listeners in your congregation. Not everyone hears the same. You know, not everyone understands the same. And my responsibility as a pastor is to try to find a variety of ways to share pertinent, substantive information to my people. Not my opinion, but God's word. So I would tell them that don't be afraid to just try it. You know, hey, you may not get a running and jumping down the aisle. And okay, but that's not my aim. Once again, my aim at church is to inform. My aim is to help and to make things clear. My prayer to God, every time I pray, and I pray in my sanctuary every Saturday before Sunday, I say, God, help me be clear. Let me be clear. Let this message resonate in all those who come and hear, not just here physically, but also online. Let it be clear. I wanna be clear, you know? So it just takes time. Sermons take time, and you can't throw this together. You can't do apologetics on a Saturday night special. There's no way to do it. You just, it's too in depth, and you and you 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 will not be able to do it like that. So work on it. <clears throat> That's helpful, and I, I love that you kind of include your staff and congregation in your preparation because I think Absolutely. one thing is that's so vital. I remember at, uh, when I was teaching apologetics courses at my church for my dad, and the one thing I did first was I surveyed the church with anonymous surveys because oftentimes. People don't want to tell their pastor that they don't understand something. It's just like being in school and the teacher says, y'all all got it. Everybody shake their head and not everybody got it, but they don't want to look like they don't want to be embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And then it's like you're able to target based on that, because oftentimes pastors, I think, are getting like surveys from broader research groups that may focus and target a white demographic and then try to use that for their own. So I think it's so and there's and there's enough black theologians out there and black works in apologetics that you don't have you can have the full breath. You know, I'm I'm a little leery of those who only go to and lean towards that one demographic and try to superimpose them. We have some brilliant people, man. Rest in peace to Dr. Uh, Kane Hofelder who just passed away, who man, his whole troubling biblical waters is is a landmark work. And one that I was able to wrestle with in seminary. So there's some there's some great black theologians who wrestled with a lot of stuff. Matter of fact, the early fathers, I mean, Origen, Irenaeus, I mean, Augustine, these were black theologians, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, um, and that's what I think is so important. So yeah, I, it's gonna take time. It takes work. It takes work to be any kind of preacher, but especially when you're trying to cover apologetics. It takes work. You can, you got to give your sign self time to, 
divulge to chew. Like my when I was growing up, my grandmother knew I was a kid. There were certain things I couldn't handle early. So she did what I, it looks nasty now, but it makes sense. She chewed the food first in her mouth, then put it in my mouth. And that's literally what it is in preparation for sermon. I've got to chew it to make it palatable and ready for you to consume it. But I can't give you what hadn't been chewed on first. Mm-hmm. What would be your admonishment to those who are um, millennials or Gen Z who say, you know, I don't want to do church because I don't feel like it engages me um, intellectually. They've mm-hmm. been to college. Their parents might not have, they might be the first generation to go to college. And so they feel this sort of elitism um, or feeling smarter than sometimes they actually are. Um, and we all um, go through that. We all um, go through that. Yeah. So uh, how would you advise them as they're thinking through um, church and maybe saying they don't need it because of that? Um, man, that's a hard one. But once again, I, I really hate how people just decide after one bad experience to quit. Right. So I love to eat. I got to eat to live. Right. I've had some bad experiences at some restaurants. I didn't stop eating. You know, I found somewhere where I was getting my needs met, my nourishment met. And I would suggest that to anyone. I mean, find some place where you are getting met. Don't just because you had a bad experience at this one spot. Oh, I'm never going back. The church is the only place where we do that. It's, it's just, it's just, it's so interesting to me, right? I've had, I went to McDonald's before. I mean, it's been 12 years since I ate meat, but, and I had a bad, my fries were cold. I didn't swear off McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? I was like, yeah, let me go. Well, I just weary of this one, but let me see if I can find me another one, you know? So that's what I would say, you know, that's this hunger and need of humanity to always be close to divinity. And it's very important. And so just as with their other places, every school ain't the same for you. Find some place where you are being fed or being nourished and stretched in whatever way you need to be nourished and stretched. There are great intellectual, uh, emotive churches everywhere you know just don't give up and now with the inclusion of internet man we've made the world flat when it comes to communication so you can you know you can always get that together even though i'm a major advocate for um going physically to church um, because i think there is something in community but i do understand uh, a lot of people are blessed through the different means and technologies that we have they'll be blessed through this podcast and other things that we've done so i would tell them man keep keep finding don't don't give up the search because of one bad experience or it may not just be the place for you mm-hmm. i hope that makes sense yes um as you as you were thinking through your sermons what i know you say you used you there is a resource but were there any other books that you found helpful um in preparation mm-hmm Yes. Um, excuse me, I'll swallow my water. Oh, um, no. G3 was good. Uh, uh, just some of my old theological terms. A good friend of mine has a book called Prove It that I thought was really helpful. A pastor, a local pastor in my area, and he was cool. He was a, he was a partner that I talked to and talked through, through some things. It really even helped solidify me in some some areas. Um, and so I, I'm, 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 I'll send you the list. I don't have it in front of me, uh, but I had like, you know, I can be old school, give me those books and put on my desk and kind of go through it, you know. Uh, rummaging through some online uh, libraries um, <clears throat> was very helpful as well. Uh, but like I said, this isn't something that I just threw overnight. I had to really do 
some serious work and digging and it was strenuous. Yeah. That's helpful. Well, this is, I think, been a very helpful conversation. What would you, what would be your final words? And also how can people reach you on social media? Man, I would tell people, man, don't be afraid to stretch and people need to know the truth. Uh, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. We must be ambassadors. And like I told our congregation, defenders of the faith. We're in a weird time where I go places as a pastor. I mean, people just be asking all kinds of crazy questions and we have to have answers. We're one of the few faith um, belief systems that sometimes it seems like we run away and shy from it. No, we hold true and we can back up and validate everything that we believe from the Bible to Jesus, to the rituals that we do, to the Holy Spirit. Those are things that are important. We can wrestle and, and say that and be honest and concrete in it. So I would just encourage people to grow, grow yourself. Preachers out there, grow yourself. Be bedrock in your own belief system, uh, grow in your faith and wrestle and wrestle, 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 wrestle. Uh, it's a lifelong journey. So people can reach me on social media at D-R-C-E-G-J-R. That's, uh, that's through Instagram, I think uh, Facebook, uh, our fan page or Dr. Charles Eagerman Jr. Uh, our church website, tbcaugusta.org. Uh, and you can reach us on there. And so, man, I'm always looking for people uh, to hit us up. And, uh, man, pray for us as we're praying for you. And once again, thank you, Dr. Lisa. You're the absolute best. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.